This is our second session on Revelation 4, 10, and 11. The first question we asked was how to think about symbols and figures in Revelation, and we talked about who the 24 elders are. And in this session, I simply want to look at this worship here and ask the question, how do we how do we see life-governing, life-shaping reality in the book of Revelation with confidence, even when the symbols that we're presented with are sometimes difficult to interpret with confidence? And sometimes I think it's helpful to think in terms of what I call the doctrine of least meanings— Maybe not the best. And what I mean is, whatever else things mean in the book of Revelation, at least we know it means this. And when you approach the book that way, it's amazing how much you can learn about the meaning of Revelation, even when you leave many things unanswered. The things you can learn are enormous, and that's what we're going to see here. Father, Help us to stay close now to these words, because that's the method I want to press upon us. Help us to stay close to the words of, of this text and to the book of Revelation so that we discern the glorious, life-governing, life-shaping truth about yourself, your creator power, our worship in this text. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these 24 elders sitting on their thrones cast their crowns, and those crowns we saw back in 2.10 are crowns probably given to the uh, triumphant church, the triumphant Christians who these 24 elders represent, and therefore the crowns that they are casting before the throne of God signifies that they view their own faithfulness. These crowns were given to Christians because of their faithfulness to the end. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. They're casting the crowning of their own faithfulness before the feet of God, which signifies, wouldn't you agree, signifies they attribute their own faithfulness to God's power and goodness and kindness. And so here they are worshiping by saying, Even our faithfulness is owing to you. And here's what they say. Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's just go through this step by step. Worthy are you. That word worthy signifies fitness. It is fitting that you receive honor. It is suitable that you receive honor. It is appropriate that you receive honor. If you take all those fitting and suitable and appropriate, it is, it is morally beautiful. 
ultimately the appropriateness of worship and the, the fact that God should get worship, that should lies in a, a morally beautiful fitness. It is fit and right. And, and one of the reasons I go about it like that is because I notice in 3-4 that Christians are called worthy to walk with Jesus in white garments. And I know they don't deserve it, but it's fitting because of something about them and God's work for them in Jesus Christ and their faith in him. There's a, a fitness to it. But then again, I notice in 16, um, 16, 6, those who killed saints are now judged and they are said to be worthy of their judgment. It is fitting and right and good, indeed morally beautiful, that the wicked be judged and that the, the, the faithful righteous be rewarded. So this, this idea of worthiness is not simply deserve, because these saints back here don't deserve this, but rather fitness and suitableness and appropriateness, which in some cases is deserving and other cases not because it's, it's morally beautiful here. You are, it is morally beautiful, oh God, that you receive glory and honor and power. Ponder those three, glory, honor, power. What's the difference between those? Why those, those three? Glory would signify the outward, bright beauty and greatness of God. Honor would signify the inner worth and dignity and honorableness of God. And power would signify the enormous strength that is being channeled through this bright outward beauty and this deep and unshakable worthiness and uh, dignity of God. But here's the interesting thing. Worthy are you to receive it. And he means receive it from these elders. How in the world <laughs> is God receiving bright and beautiful glory and deep respect and honorableness and, and strength from these piddly Christians. And the key, and this is so important to grasp, to make sense out of all the Bible when it talks about worship and when it talks about giving and receiving glory, just in verse 9 before this, the, the living creatures were giving glory to God, and now God is receiving glory. It's because in the Bible, glory and honor and strength are sometimes spoken of uh, in terms of their objective reality in God himself, and sometimes in terms of their subjective response in his creatures. So sometimes glory is spoken of as the very thing that God has, and sometimes glory is spoken of as our praise and admiration and adoration of that glory. So when we are said to give glory to God or give honor to God or give power to God, and he receives glory and receives honor and receives strength, it's referring to 
to this. He already has the objective reality. We don't give him, I mean, God had his glory before we were ever created. So when he receives glory and honor and power, he's not receiving the objective reality that eternally exists in him. He's receiving the 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 worthy, appropriate, fitting, morally beautiful response to that glory and honor and power in us. And what do we give him glory and honor and power for? Clear up this mess. He created all things, and by your will they existed. Now notice, why does it say you created all things and then add and by your will, they existed and were created. Well, wouldn't it be, I mean, I, I can imagine if he only said this, he created all things, a reader might think, well, there was somebody else who commissioned him to do that. And really back here is another being. No, here, here he not only is the actor in creating all things, but that creation is originating in his will. There wasn't anybody willing it above or behind him. He is the originator of the will to create and the actual acting of the creator. Now, let's just step back for a moment and ask my question about seeing life-governing, life-shaping reality. Because I think, and I, I wonder if you agree, I think that when we look at this, these 24 elders, even if we are not quite sure who they are, when we see worship and casting of crowns happening with these words, you are worthy Oh, Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created and you will that creation. We can know with absolute certainty God is being presented here as the creator of the universe. God is being created here as our creator. And therefore, it is morally beautiful and right and good and fitting and suitable and appropriate that he be worshipped, that he receive from us ask acclamations of worth that he is our creator. And that is a massive teaching. It's a massive reality that God has this glory and has this honor and has this power and that he can actually receive from his creatures acclamations that he is glorious and acclamations that he is honorable and acclamations that he is powerful. And that is, in fact, why we exist. I think things like that can be learned all through the book of Revelation with tremendous certainty, even if there are surrounding elements of the symbolism that we may not grasp.